You're listening to Just Ask Malia with Malia Ford of the Malia Realty Group in Lexington, Kentucky. Hey everybody, this is Malia and today I'm around our bourbon table down here at the LexConnect podcast studio with our dear friend Larry Sills. And for those of you that don't know Larry, Larry has been a dear friend and he has been a well-known home inspector here in Lexington and he has some great news where he's starting his own business and we're going to dive into who Larry is and why he is the man of choice. So welcome Larry, thanks for joining us today. Thank you Malia, I appreciate you having me here today. Always. So Larry, you are born and raised in Kentucky, a well-known Lexingtonian. You have been with the Pruitt Home Inspections for how many years? 26 years. 26 years and then December 31st they closed their doors, and we'll talk about that. And now you're starting your own business. I know it's late in life, but I just feel like I still have some time left in me, and I enjoy doing what I do. And so I felt like, sure, why not start my own home inspection business and continue doing what I enjoy? Well, listen, I always believe age is only a number. It's your mind that makes you your right. heart, isn't it? <laughs> I can still do the things I did 26 years ago, so... Maybe a little bit slower. I take uh, a little more care when I get up on the roof, but I still get up there, and I think I get up there more than most home inspectors do. Well, and through the years, you know, through my journey with the real estate industry, you have always been an amazing mentor to me about the power of the home inspection, what you need to know, why our clients really have to be involved in that. And so I'm super excited to share how you got into it your journey, as well as, you know, what you do for a living and what we need to know. I think I started at an early age. My dad was a, um, he was always instrumental in making sure that I had other things to do than just running around the house and playing games outside. So, Not it, video games, right? Cause <laughs> no video games. We didn't have that then. But at the early age of 12, he uh, asked me if I wanted to run a paper route. And I said, sure. I had no idea what was involved, and I uh, did this route for three years, but the thing that I remember most is the very first day that I ran my route was the day Kennedy was assassinated. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, it was difficult because running that route for the first time is always challenging, getting the papers to the right customers. I was late getting home, and then when I got home, there was another stack of papers sitting in my driveway. They had run an extra and I had to go through the whole route second time. So when you do the paper route, first of all, that's just absolutely amazing that the first day of your dog, you know, Kennedy's assassinated. Like, that's just a timeless historical moment. But back then, I mean, what does a paper route look like? Were you riding your bike? Did your parents drive you in the car? I mean, like, I think about when my brother did a paper route, he was always on his bike. Well, I had a, about 270 customers. My brother and I ran the route together. So he took about 100 customers. And you know Dennis. Oh, yeah. Dennis, uh, the Sill brothers are just yeah. dear to my heart. Right, thanks. But uh, we we uh, had about 270 customers, and we had, I guess, the typical paper outlook. We had our little swim bikes. <laughs> we had baskets on the front. Okay. We had saddle baskets behind us. And we would set it in the driveway. We would roll up our papers, put rubber bands around them, put them in the baskets and we take off and run the route we did that every day it didn't matter what the conditions were 
if it was snowing or raining, my dad made us the uh, pick the paper behind the storm door. Uh, oh, so yeah. I just really want to start because I remember our paper boy when you know we've lived here for twenty four years, and a guy would drive and throw it out the window, and half the time he wouldn't even get it on the sidewalk. It would yeah. just drive me crazy. The guy I bought the route from. Uh, and I say, Bob, we had to pay $7 for each customer. So that was quite an adventure. We put out, and Dad put the money up for us. Uh, but yes, he he had no qualms about just throwing in a water puddle. He would sit there and he would, th- I would run the route with him just to learn the route. And he would take the paper, throw it out there. It may come apart and fly all over the place. He didn't stop, get down, give him new paper. He just went on to the next one. Unbelievable. Now, my dad, my dad said, every one of them has to be on the porch. And uh, I would try, I would ride my bike, I would go down the driveway, I'd throw the paper, most of the time laying around the porch, but sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it would even hit the storm door, and of course I would bring the dogs to the door. Only broke one piece of glass during uh, three years, <laughs> but oh yeah, the paper route was awesome. I enjoyed it, but there were many times when we would have to push your bike because the snow was too deep, but you would still load up the bike the same way, and you would just walk your bike through the whole route. So from the age of 12 to 15, you did a paper route. And what I'm hearing you say is that, one, you had expectations. Your dad set expectations for you about what you were to do and how you were to do it. And then you had the endurance and the perseverance of whether it was raining, snowing, cold wind, you still had to get out there, even if you had to push your own bike. And I think those are such valuable lessons that you're still doing today. It is. It is. And we talk about it. Uh, we talk about dad, all the siblings, he would find things for us to do, things productive, things that were better ourselves, but he always set rules that we had to do it a certain way, mainly for our customer. Yeah. And my dad, you know, he, he himself was a home improvement contractor, a home builder, and uh, he'd carry the same principles when he worked with his clients. And that passed on down to me and my brother's. All my brothers and my sister are very hard workers. Uh, they just enjoy working, and I think that's a trait that we got from our dad. Well, and I also believe that when you love what you're doing, it's never work. It's it's a passion, and um, people always say, when are you going to retire? And it's like, why? Why would I retire? I love what I'm doing. I wake up every day excited to go to work. So you have your paper route. Tell us about what happened after that. So I ran the paper route, and then I decided um, I was tired of it. Three years was enough. So I sold the paper route, and I ended up making a lot of money. An entrepreneur from the very start. I Look did. at you. I bought did the you paper have to pay route. your dad back? I did. So I paid off the loan. It was $7 a customer. But my paper route also included Beaumont. Beaumont was a brand-new subdivision at the time, so every customer that I picked up, I did not have to pay $7 for. But when I sold the route, I got $7 back. So this was a brand new subdivision. It had maybe half a dozen houses already built. And that whole subdivision, when it blew up, I got those customers and I made enough money to buy a brand new car Can't uh, for you. when I was uh, 18 years old. So little entrepreneur from the start. And I think you said you um, when we were talking, you went and worked in a grocery store and then a lumber yard. So talk about like your whole trajectory of what you did led you to here. So tell us about that work history. What was the next job after that? So the next thing I did, well, one reason I sold the route, I was in the band. I was in Lafayette Band. That was another thing that built a lot of pride in me because their 
motto, you know, pride of the bluegrass. Everybody knows about the Lafayette Band. We would win uh, the the, uh, state championship just about every year. I ended up playing French horn. I was uh, third chair my sophomore year, first chair my junior and senior year. I made second chair all state uh, my senior year, and I just enjoyed it. Then, during that time, one summer, my dad asked if I wanted to work for a grocery store, and I said, sure. I didn't know what my job would be. I always enjoyed taking on new uh, challenges and different adventures. Adventures for a boy is a big thing, even to today. I'm I'm sure boys, we like adventures. It's yep. like, like The Hobbit, you know. We want to go on an adventure. So I went to work for this um, grocery store over in uh, Zandale Shopping Center. I think it was a- IGA. The person that was in charge of the grocery store was uh, Waddell Willems, and he actually was a Sunday school teacher of mine over at Manual Baptist Church. He ruled that grocery store with a club, it seemed like. I mean, those everybody was scared of him. He would always be sitting there giving them the eye, but and I, it really kind of shocked me. But anyways, I, I sacked groceries. And back then, you would uh, the service was a little dif- different. We would even take the groceries that the person bought and roll that uh, grocery cart all the way to their house, somewhere there in Zandale, and then walk back. They, oh, wow. They may give you a nickel or a dime. You know, that was, that was the tip of the day, or nothing at all. I enjoy doing the, the sacking of groceries. Now, some people, you know, even like today, they're pretty uh, strict on how they want you to sack their groceries. They don't, you know, they won't don't want to mix the frozen stuff with fresh stuff. But the main thing, they always jump on you. They want to double sack everything. So... Uh, but anyways, I enjoy doing that. So you learn client expectations. So first you learn the expectations of how to do the job from your dad. And then the next job taught you the expectations of the clients, which it's it's all of these like such important lessons that people can learn, especially our youth. Hopefully they're listening or even somebody trying to start their own business. And we'll get into that. But learning how to set those standards and expectations within yourself and then learn the expectations of your clients and accommodate them because in, no matter what business you're doing, you're always serving. I don't, sure. you know, it's always sales and it's always serving. I don't care what industry you're in. We can have a debate about that if you disagree with me, other people out there. So awesome. Okay. What came after the grocery store? All right. So then I graduated from high school. I decided I wanted to go to Western Kentucky University to college. And the summer before I took a job at a lumberyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Central Kentucky Supply. It's uh, they called it CKS. It was over on Industry Road. I worked there that summer. I worked in the yard. I unloaded lumber from boxcars. I filled orders. We would stack lumber, and I met some of the roughest people I'd ever known in my life. I didn't realize how rough construction. This is my first introduction to people in construction, and you know. It's physical work. It's it labor. Is. It's hard labor. It's sweating. It is. And it was hard work and a lot of funny personalities. They all had nicknames. You had Henry McNuck and um, Bull, and they, they all liked their own little <laughs> nicknames. And, and they actually, most of them fit, fit their nicknames real well. Uh, but then I worked there for three, uh, three months, went off to college. After one year of college, I decided I'm not sure I'm ready for this yet. And I came home. And uh, that summer, I started working for a HVAC company. Um, it's uh, right down the road on uh, where Perspectives is located today. Oh, one of my neighbors. Yeah, so Carl Fugman was the owner 
of Climate Control. Climate Control is still around today, well-known company. Yes. And I was a um, helper. And we the first job that I had was actually also here on Southland Drive. Uh, it's it's uh, real close to your building on the same side of the street. Uh, it was a doctor's office. I met the uh, guy that I was helping there. I didn't, They gave me a dress. I showed up. I had to run the guy down, and then they put me to work. I enjoyed doing it. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about installation, but I was just a helper. So it's interesting, like this Southland Drive that we have our happy place on where the studio is, is just the mecca for amazing businesses. And I'm learning so much about the history of Southland Drive, which we call the little Chevy Chase now from you. So I really appreciate that. It, it is it is a place where a lot of places did start up. And you got, you know, perspectives. Uh, you know, my dad's business, if you go up and down Southland or adjoining streets, you'll see a lot of and it's interesting, Carl Fugman, his son Chris, was a coach for Highbridge Aquatics swim team, which Brendan and Will, our sons, were on. And um, I remember because he actually helped us get an HVAC system in our old house. So for those of you out there, if you haven't been to Lexington, it's, you know, the separation, you know, the five people around you are always connected to somebody else. And what I love about Lexington and Kentucky is there's such a close-knit community. Everybody knows everybody through somebody, if not directly, and um, never, ever make it, make an enemy in this town is what I've learned because it'll come back to haunt you. So climate control, Carl, what a great thing. And now your dad, you know, tell us what's happening next because your dad got you into the industry a little bit more after that. But what did you do? Did you... Joined the the Marines after that, or did you stay with climate control? You've got such a fascinating history. So I did work for climate control, and then the summer was over. Their business was slowing down, and I went looking for another job. My best friend, uh, Chuck Hall, he was working for this uh, prefabricated building company. Uh, this company was over on Old Frankfurt Pike uh, at a warehouse, and what we would, what they would do there, they would build these units, apartments, complete plumbing, electric, the carpet, the drywall, the painting, everything complete. Then they would lift these up on a flatbed truck and store them. And then once we got all of them completed, they took them out to Malibu Drive, right there by Jason Steli. And there's a wow, wow. You know, there's three um, long. Uh, three-story structures there that we did one of them and they did two of them the conventional way where they built everything on site but they took our units they stacked them on top of each other did the final plumbing tie-in the final electric and they bricked around it and put the roof system in place and then it was complete it's pretty neat idea but they didn't last real real long i think it so that's like build an apartment in a box from it was it was they built the whole thing that is amazing. amazing And it sounds like fun. a Barbie house or something. <laughs> yeah, it, it was fun. It was unique. They used all unskilled labor. Uh, they had maybe uh, four skilled people totally. They had a skilled drywall finisher. The foreman of the whole thing was a skilled carpenter, but most everybody else was unskilled. They put me in charge of uh, building the trusses for the roof system. I had never built anything other than help my dad around some of his remodeling jobs. So I did that. And then one day, I'm uh, with my best friend Chuck, and we're eating lunch, and we're sitting there looking, and there's this big billboard sign up there that says, 
something about uh, we're looking for a few good men. It was a Marine Corps board, and this was you know back when the Vietnam War was going 100%. And my friend Chuck, he looked at me and said, um, I'll join the Marines if you will. Well, we always had this bet growing up. I knew Chuck since, 11, since I was 11 years old. We were in Boy Scouts together, and we always challenged each other, bet each other, but we wouldn't bet each other to do something or dare each other to do something unless the other one was willing to do it first. And so he said, I'll join the Marines if you will. And I said, you know, like a stupid kid. I mean, I'm a college student, but still, we're still kids. I mean, I'm still a kid today. <laughs> Boys, we never grow up. You know, it's, it's kind of like uh, Peter Pan or whatever. <laughs> yeah. We're all lost. But anyways, um, he said, I'll join the Marines if you will. And we went down that right after work and signed the papers. And three months later, off we go. And we went to San Diego. I spent three years in the Marine Corps. I had a really good MOS. Uh, because we joined for three years, we got a school. It kept me from being a grunt. It kept me from, I mean, I, I was in the Vietnam area. I was on a ship loading uh, around with the Navy, but I never went inland. I never had to go through all the mess and the difficulty that my brothers went through. They suffer today. Uh, the guys that are still around, you know, they were exposed to a lot of different things, mentally, physically. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. And I think... For all of the agents out there, I think the VA loans and being able to serve our vets through that is such an honor. Um, we do a high volume of VA loans here at Malia Realty Group, and it's always our pleasure. And when we get a buyer on one of our listings that's a VA, it, it's always special to our heart because we can't do enough for you. I do give the veterans a discount if I know they're a veteran. Uh, so if you do, if I ever do a job for you in it, Future, oh, make sure you let me know if they're a veteran or not, because I will give them a discount. Absolutely. So you're in the Marines for three years. You come home. Then what happens? So then I decided to go back to college. And um, so I went to Eastern Kentucky instead of Western. It was close to home. Friend Chuck and I, we both joined a fraternity. And uh, while I was in the fraternity, you know, I became uh, the social chairman for a year and a half. And I was a pledge trainer. And so I still got, you know, a chance to you know, deal for other people and develop skills, you know, as far as... And lead. And lead. And lead people. And, lead. and teach them how to do things. So when you went back to school, what did you study? What was your degree? My degree was industrial technology. So what does that mean to me? So industrial technology is a wide range of different things. I mean, you could become a maybe a machinist or a, or a metal worker or different things like that. But they also had architecture, industrial technology, or... or um, Mechanical drafting. I always took mechanical drafting and architecture in high school. I took some of those classes. I enjoyed it. I had ambitions of being an architect, but that never worked out. My son is an architect, which I'm quite proud of. Congratulations. Thank Great you. Job, Dad. So anyways, I, industrial technology, my emphasis was in architecture and engineering. It's another little side story there. There was a um, Home inspectors. Home inspectors, you know, when they decided to regulate us here in Kentucky, one of the laws, one of the first laws they wrote said that we're not allowed to talk about codes. And the reason is, is because one of the guys that I was in class with, um, and and he had this, I was in class with him at Eastern all these years, he became a home inspector and he was always citing the seller or the builders for code violations. And so, it really teed off a lot of it, uh, the realtors, and they decided one of the laws we're going to write or to regulate the home inspectors is you cannot talk about codes. So that's why we don't talk about codes. 
Oh, I didn't realize that. That's great history for all of us, especially the Asians, to know that and to know why. Anyways, back to Eastern, I did industrial technology. I, I took all the architecture classes they had in the engineering, which was just a few. Uh, and during the summer, while I was going to school, I would build a house with my dad. So we would build a house, uh, the VA money that I got for being in the serving the service and the uh, money that I incurred when I worked and sold a house, uh, that helped put me through school. You're building houses now with your dad. So you go from a paper route to the grocery store, to the lumber yard, learning about the lumber, then actually going into HVAC and learning all of that. Then you build apartments from a box. You actually put the parts of the apartment together in a warehouse, put them in a warehouse, put them on a flatbed, and then go build them and do the roof trusses. Is everybody understanding how he has been known as one of the best home inspectors in central Kentucky? Because he actually knows everything about what goes into a home. And then from there, your dad starts, you know, a building company, but he didn't start there. I think what we talked about is that your dad actually owned his own business and started in floor covering with home improvements. So you, you, you grew up in the industry as well. Talk about that because your dad started that and you grew up in it kind of like some of our kids are growing up in real estate. Right. As a son of a contractor, you never got the best jobs. You're usually cleaning up uh, the side or sorting material, stuff like that. But I did enjoy being around the construction site. I I enjoyed, um, it's kind of, I mean, it sounds funny, but I enjoyed the smells. Everything has a different smell when you're cut. If lumber's being cut or drywall's being applied, concrete, everything has a different smell. Interesting. And, and, it, and it, it just, whenever I smell those smells today, I mean, it brings back good memories because we used to do a lot of our own work. My dad Felt like he wanted to be hands-on on most of the stuff that we did, uh, most of the trades. And a lot of times we would learn trades because we weren't satisfied with what the results we got from our subcontractors. Should stop right there. That was so powerful. And I think everybody that we've talked to on the podcast kind of got into the business in similar ways is we saw something and we felt like we could do it better because we weren't happy with the way it was being done. The quality, the service, you know, the, the product, we, we wanted it to be better for the people that we served. How powerful is that? I agree. I agree. And Dad, you know, he, he did uh, for all of the kids. Uh, all the boys, except for my youngest brother, we were all involved in construction in some way. And uh, he always had, you know, we had to do it Dad's way which was fine. We would argue with him. We thought we knew better, but no, dad was the one that had the experience. He's the one that guided us and he's the one that helped to build our character that we have today. I wish I could have met your dad because, um, people loved him and, and I won't, and I'm definitely going to make my boys listening to this because it warms my heart. Dad's way. It's always mom's way, but there's something very powerful about that. And I feel like our world is missing that in terms of that mentorship and that guiding of this is how you do it. This is why you do it. This is why you have to take the extra mile to do it right. Because it's an art. You know, there's an art about serving people. We have a philosophy here at, you know, with our team at Malia of unreasonable hospitality. You know, and there's a book written by Will Giordano 
about that is we're so unreasonable about providing the service because our clients demand it now almost. They, they should demand it. And we should want to be unreasonable about delivering those high expectations. So your dad, I want to really let people know. So your dad did floor covering. Then you said he went into the remodeling business. So when you went off to be a Marine, you came back and he was in the remodeling and he was doing storm windows and then building houses when you returned. So, you know, I went off to the Marines. He he had already had his floor covering business going. And during that time, he also started doing some storm windows. But while I was off in the service, he got into the remodeling. He hired a um, concrete carpenter type uh, person, uh, Jim Hurd, and then one other carpenter. And they were his mentors. Even though he was the boss, they were teaching him the trade. And he got into the remodeling. Then he wanted so badly to build a home. And he started building some homes. He built the same plan three or four times. And then by the time I returned, he was a full-time remodeler, part-time builder like I became in time. And um, I loved the thought about building a house. All boys like to or a lot of us boys, we like to think about creating stuff with our own hands. So no more Legos or Lincoln Logs, right? Oh, You're doing the real thing. We had Lincoln Logs, <laughs> but yes, we were doing a real thing. So it was a, uh, it was something I was interested in. Also saw it as a way of uh, uh, accumulate a little bit of money to help me uh, through school. And then after doing that for four years, after I graduated from uh, Eastern. I enjoyed it so much, I just wanted to continue on. So I also became a part-time builder, full-time remodeler. I built one or two houses a year. I built up to 25 houses or so. I built here in uh, Lexington, Bourbon County, uh, one in Bourbon County, and then several up in Pike County. Oh, wow. I, I went up to Pike County because in 79, 80, you know, when the interest rates were sky high, everything shut down here. I had four houses going at the time. Uh, it just about put me under, but we were able to pay everybody off and um, settle debts. Uh, but I went up to Pikeville because that's, there was only, that was the only place I could find any work at the time. So we started working on a commercial building. It was doing the interior fit-ups for uh, a law office up there. And it was a brand new uh, bank building right there in the center of town. And we did the fifth floor. Then after finishing that, my dad was and I was with my dad again, and my dad decided he was going to go back uh, to Lexington. People talked me into staying. I was married, and so I went ahead and took some jobs. I started, uh, I built several houses there in uh, Quail Ridge. I did some commercial jobs, and then the bank wanted me to come back and do some more work for them, and I did their computer rooms. Uh, that's where you had this uh they had this elevated floor, and it's a completely sealed building. They got alarms. They got gas. If there was some kind of fire, it would uh, send this gas into the room and stuff all the oxygen. So the mm-hmm. alarm would be go off to give you two minutes to get out of the room. Because it was going to suck that oxygen. Out of the oxygen. Yeah. And so I, I, I really loved my time up there by my wife. She was from the city of uh, Dayton, Ohio. And now we're living in a little small town of Pikeville. They, they only had like one fast food restaurant at the time. I think it was a Druthers. Well, you're in the mountains, you're in coal country. I mean, it's very rural compared to me in North Lexington. I loved it. 
she not so much. So we decided to head back to Lexington. And on my way back to Lexington, I uh, did this underground house in Prestonsburg. So a government, uh, I think what his name is, he um, is like the county uh, clerk. Yeah, he's the county clerk in, for Pike County or Pikeville. And uh, he was building the home in Prestonsburg. He had just did the superstructure, the concrete, but it was underground home. And his contractor quit. Talk, talked me into finishing up for him. That was my last job before I got back to life. That's amazing. An underground home. It was. It was more of an earth shelter home. The, the whole front of the house was exposed, but everything else was underground. Amazing. Yeah. Years later, after I, I ran into them again, they had a lot of problems with we built all the furniture in place. That was another unusual thing about the house. The lady of the house, she wanted all the furniture built in place. We built the beds. We built the dressers. The only thing that we did not build was a hide-a-bed that they brought in just so they could have an overflow-type bedroom in case they had some extra companies. Uh, but we built all the um, kitchen table. It was all fastened to the floor. We had couches that were hanging from the walls. It sounds very, like, Futuristic. It, it I mean, was. Very it, futuristic. It was, but they didn't account, and I didn't account either. I had no idea what I was doing, um, but they didn't account for the humidity that you have when you have an underground home. So, oh. so the humidity started playing havoc with the wood. It would, it would swell and twist and curl and stuff like that. So they said they had to deal with that years later, but mm-hmm. it, it was a fun job. So how long were you actually a builder? So I built for 18 years. I was in... Construction for 25. I uh, started out as a, um, I did build and remodel at the same time, but then I finally decided enough of the new home building. I loved it because it, it was always a lot of fun to do, but I stuck with the remodeling. I, I really never made that much. I didn't make much money building a home. A lot of people probably feel feel like builders who are getting rich, but it's a, it's a tough industry to be in. And it still is a tough industry. And I think people need to be aware of that is that, you know, builders run on very low margins. And a lot of the builders now are actually just taking a flat fee, you know, as a contractor fee because, you know, the fluctuating prices and the way the supplies are, a lot of them have lost a lot of money, especially during the COVID years because of the increase in pricing and houses were already set. So I give kudos to them because it is... It, it, it's a labor of love, and it's hard, and it's physical labor. Sure, it's challenging. It's challenging. And then to compete with the bigger builders, you know, your ball homes and those type of people, they, you know, they turn out a great product, but it's hard to compete with. Well, and it sounds like, it, and I think everybody out there that's listening is, your entire life, you have been just preparing to become that home inspector. So how the heck did you become from a builder? Right, but what you I think we should also mention to people is that you your dad also did HVAC. He did electrical, he did concrete, he did remodeling, he did flooring. And I think when we were talking, he did everything but roofing, drywall and painting, because you can get those contractors for that. But you also did an apprentice to get your electrical license during that time. So you were in lumber. You are in HVAC. You are in roofing, doing trusses. You built apartments by the boxes. You got your electrical license. You built homes. You remodeled homes. Like, what a perfect prelude to get into home inspection. But how the heck did you get there? Well, I was finally tired of being in construction. 
And uh, my wife wanted me to find something else to do because it, it, it's tough. It's tough on the home life. So I decided to get out and look for something else. It was probably a week later, Steve Pruitt, Pruitt Property Inspections, he heard that I was getting out. He already had two other former contractors, uh, builders, David Atkins, Finley Stamatis. People know them real well. They definitely know uh, uh, David's brother, Danny Atkins. Mm-hmm. He's very yep. well known here. He's built, built some very beautiful nice homes. homes, beautiful homes. Uh, but anyways, he was looking for another contractor because his business was growing and he offered me to come work for him. Well, most of my life, I, work, I, I know I work for these other companies, but as of late, I'd been working for myself for the past 25 years or 18 years anyhow. And I didn't think I could work for somebody else, but I told him, I said, I'll try it. And 26 years later, he decides to retire and I was still working for him. That's amazing. Because one, you don't see the longevity with people in their jobs. And I'm not saying that's always a bad thing. I think, you know, a job leads you to the next job, to the next job. I just don't see a lot of people, especially the younger generation, no disrespect of being committed for that long haul. So 26 years, that's a quarter of a century. Long time. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed working with Steve. Um, one reason he wanted uh, he was looking for contractors is because he knew we all made the same mistakes that we were looking for as home inspectors. And so, you know, that does help you be a better home inspector if you made that particular mistake. So, you know, you know exactly what to look for having experience in those different traits. Now, you know, Finley Stamatis, he was uh, an engineer, a very well-known uh, home builder. He was kind of ahead of his time. He was more the uh, energy savings type person. He would do the earth-sheltered uh, homes and the envelope homes and, and that type of uh, thing. David, he was a commercial electrician. And so being a contractor is real helpful to being a home inspector. It doesn't mean that you cannot be a good home inspector without that background, but it is real beneficial to help and as far as to help me do well, what I do today. It's like a second nature. I mean, it's like innate nature for you to be able to go in a home and look at it. And what we always tell our clients is your home inspection is like going to a doctor, your general doctor for an annual checkup. The home inspector is not going in there to intentionally find things that are wrong with the house. They're going in there to give you a checkup. And homes that are resale homes aren't newly built. They don't have a home manual. Like when you buy a home that's recently, that was just built, the home, the home builder gives you a whole manual and all the papers and all the warranties for everything. But when you buy someone else's home, you don't have that. Sure. You go in and give a general checkup. You're checking the heartbeat. You're checking the pull, you know, the um, cholesterol. You're, you're checking, you know, the physical structure of the body. And so if you find something wrong with it, then you say, you need a specialist. You know, need to go to an electrician. You need to go to HVAC guy. You need to go to a roofer. You need to, like, get a structural engineer to look at the foundation. So I feel like the home inspection is probably the most powerful part of the home buying process for a buyer. I think so. I agree. You know, you, you brought to mind uh, the motto of uh, Pruitt's. Um, I know we were working for our client, but our motto was the home is our client. Um, and the reason we say that is we wanted to make use, we're talking about the health of the home. We wanted to make the house healthier. And we were looking after the house, which benefits our client. And so 
that whenever we go in to inspect, we say, well, what can make this? We're not trying to redesign the house, but we're looking for things that are causing this house to break down physically. So I'm going to give you everybody a little history of you and I, because when I got into real estate, I didn't know what I didn't know. I had only bought one home in my life at that point. It's changed immensely since then. But I had always heard word on the street that Pruitt was the oldest home inspection company in town, but they were the hardest home inspection. And our clients picked the home inspector. And when one of my first clients picked Pruitt, it was you. And I'm going to tell you, I was scared to death to go into that home inspection because, you know, word on the street is like they blow every deal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this deal won't go through. It's going to be really hard. But what I learned with you is you were so kind and so calm and soft-spoken with the client. You walked them through, you printed that report out right in front of them and really walked them through and gave them such an understanding of the home that I learned so much from it. And from that moment on, I had always a deep respect for you because I felt like you were a true team player, not only for me to help educate me and answer my questions, but you are such a great wealth of knowledge for this first-time home buyer that you didn't make things that were wrong with the house scary. You offered solutions. You told them, this is an easy fix. This is what you'll need to do. This is how you should do it. This is something you should have the seller fix for you, you know, and ask them to do. And this is probably what it's going to entail. And I didn't know the wealth of knowledge in your background at that point. But from that point on, if Pruitt ever came up, the only one I would say we would use is Larry Sills. Thanks, man. Yeah. You're too kind. No, and from the heart. It has been a great friendship. I, I always enjoy when I see your name comes up on my schedule. Thank good you. to see you again because it's always pleasant. It's uh, your client. You always make it easy to deal with your clients. They all already seem prepared. Uh, you do a great job. Thank you. And you got a great team here. I, I enjoy coming in over here. And- oh, thank you. Tell us first before we tell our, our next little story is, what is the most important thing to know about a home inspection? If you're, if if I have a buyer, I told you my impression of what it is, but what would you tell an agent to tell their buyer about a home inspection when you're you're trying to t- tell them the importance of this is why you should do a home inspection? So it's it's important to inform your clients about structure, the safety, and the systems. Um, they need to know what's ahead of them. What I mean, a lot of times, this is the most important venture that a lot of people make in their lifetime. I mean, it's either their first time home buyers or they're looking for their retirement home. These are big, big decisions. And the number one thing they need to do is attend the home inspection. A lot of times a client will say, well, I'll let my realtor handle that. Uh, you always seem to get your people there. It's so important that we can sit there and look them in the eye and explain to them because if they get it second-handed or over the phone, it's uh, hard to understand. And then they, they're emotionally attached to this haunt house already. That's right. They're terrified that I'm going to find something. Uh, but if they can be there and see what I did find, it's not going to look as bad to them if they can physically plan eyes on it and make their own decision. 
Well, and I'm a full advocate. You're buying a used home. It's like buying a used car, right? Used car, the tires may be worn. Your alternator may be coming up on like that big uh, checkup. You know, if you have a Lexus, that 75,000 mile checkup, it's like very expensive, but it's necessary to redo all the systems. So I explained to our clients of, you know, the, you're buying a used home. There's going to be things that are wrong with it. The good, the bad, the ugly. We'd love to hear the good. The bad is, hey, you know, your HVAC is 12 years old. Hey, your roof is 20 years old. Hey, you know, your water heater is, you know, 10 years old. Like, these are all things that are going to have to be replaced at some point in time. Welcome to home ownership. But the ugly is what you don't want to hear. And if you do hear it, you're always so good about how it can be fixed because everything can be fixed. Sure, sure. And they need to be well informed. They, you know, some things that I, you know, when I give effective uh, uh, grade to them, they're not that really that bad, but I give them a defective grade because I, I would like to see that GFCI working because that's an important part as far as protecting them and their children and their family from getting hurt. And um, yeah, it's real important that that they attend, that they know, you know, it's it's a big, big decision. Well, I'm going to put this caveat or disclaimer out there because this is what we tell the team. We will not be at the home inspection. The agent or anyone on our team, we will not physically be at your home inspection because that's truly a relationship between you and our, our, our client buyer. However, we will come at the very end with our client to be there as support, to listen, one, for understanding, two, for us because we're just a learning-based team. And um, it's always an education process for us as well. And three, to, you know, understand what the issues are coming that you have found so that we can explain them properly to the seller agent so that we can make this transaction, you know, hit the closing table. But we always, always try to get our client there because you're right. That face-to-face with you or the home inspector is crucial. Relationships. What are some of the lessons that you have learned throughout your life that has made you such a great home inspector? And I know that's a big ask. (laughs) I think I'm better than average. I'm not sure I'm a great home inspector. I do. The uh, things in life, you know, doing everything the best you can. That's something my dad, I guess, implanted in my brain when I first started delivering papers. He wanted every paper to be on the front porch Don't have to do our best job. And the, the guy that was in charge of all the paper boys was a man named Mr. Hickey. And he would tell my dad that Dennis and I were the best paper boys he ever had mm-hmm. because dad would make us do it a certain way. It was hard. It was hard, but it wasn't that hard. Uh, the tough part was pushing your bike to the snow because you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't r- ride it. I mean, but anyways, um, my parents, uh, my mom was the same way. They, they always wanted us to do everything a certain way, do it the way they would do it. They, I mean, they didn't beat it into us or anything like that. They, they would set the uh, rules up. This is what you need to do, or you're not going to get to do it. And uh, I enjoyed being a paper boy. I, I don't, I've met a lot of paper boys through the years, and we all have a little something in common, just like. The Marines, I mean, Marines, I, I don't know if, I'm sure everybody knows that. When one Marine sees another Marine, we're brothers. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll stop and we'll sit there and talk forever. My wife gets so upset with me because <laughs> we'll be in a store shopping and 
uh, because we're committed to each other. So commitment, it's just everything that I've done, I guess, is something I felt like I've taken pride in, whether it's a paper boy, Lafayette Band, probably the Bluegrass, the Marine Corps. I mean, we've always felt like we were the best, and we are the best. And we're all brothers, and um, we just love each other. And, and I'm a Christian, too. And uh, I love God, love Jesus, and I feel like uh, they would be disappointed if I did things the wrong way. So. Oh, I love that. That was very powerful for me is, you know, doing your best because you'll disappoint God and your parents. So true. Yeah. So Steve Pruitt came to you, and he has shut down Pruitt Home Inspections after 26 years of you being with him. That must have been a big shock. And he shut it down. He didn't even sell it. I I know the whole industry here in Central Kentucky is like, what just happened? Yeah, we were the primary home inspection group for a long, long time. You are. Uh, We we were always uh, two weeks out. If you wanted us to do an inspection for you, you would have to wait two two weeks to schedule it. Now, times change. There's more and more home inspectors. I think there's uh, 250 in the Central Kentucky area or so. There's a lot of home inspectors around. You don't have to wait to two weeks anymore. But Steve built a great uh, business. He wanted things done a certain way. That was another influence on me. He was almost like a brother-father type thing because he set the rules just like my father and parents did. And he was proud of the uh, company he built. And I think that's why he did not sell the business because I think he wanted to protect his name. Um, he was proud of what he did and it was, he was done. It was time to close for property inspections. It was kind of abrupt. Uh, people weren't ready for it. All of a sudden now he's gone. Uh, I know people are scrambling, looking for new inspectors. It's a slow time of the year and that gives them time to find who they feel comfortable with. I hope that a lot of you will come my way and I really appreciate Malia to appreciate you doing this for me. Not for you. You've given us so much knowledge about the home inspection. And we always love that the whole reason I wanted to do this podcast of Just Ask Malia is because I truly believe that when I got into real estate, I wanted to connect local and future homeowners so that they can make good decisions about their real estate to build wealth. And then I wanted to connect them to the community. Because our relationship with our clients really starts after the closing table. That's when we get to really embrace their next chapter with them and and share like the journey of what we helped them do. We didn't do it for them. We helped them do it. And so peeling back the stories and the success stories of the businesses in this community is our way to help connect them to the community. We see the big businesses or we see people successful, but there's so much grit and perseverance and challenges and struggles and wins and victories and celebrations that nobody sees and nobody asks about except when they hit the big success. And your whole journey since you were 12 led you to be one of the best home inspectors in our town, a pivotal like business leader and um, advocate in our community. And what better way to share your story is to sit around this bourbon table and hear about it. So you have your home inspection. Like, everybody, I want you to know, like, Larry took this big step of his boss shutting down the industry that he was in for 26 years. You could have easily retired. Easily. I know your family's all over this town. You own multiple properties around this town. You've 
you know, you've built wealth in different ways, but your your time's not up, right? It's right. Age is just a number. I, I love doing what I do. I, I enjoy helping people. I know I get paid for it, but as you should. More than, yeah, more than anything, I just enjoy helping people out. And I feel like as long as I'm physically able to do it, I'm not working full time, but as long as I'm physically able to do it and I feel like I turn out a good product and I'm helping people and I'm not letting them down, I'm going to keep on going. My wife, I think she would like to go ahead and see me retire. But <laughs> I enjoy getting out and doing this. So, Larry Sills Home Inspector. Dot com is the website, but Larry Sills Home Inspector is the company. If you're open for business, we're going to make sure everybody knows how to get in contact with him. But Larry Sills Home Inspector.com is his website. We'll get the phone number out there yet. Tell me when you started it, biggest fear and biggest excitement. The fear was putting everything together. I had two months. Uh, Steve let me know that. He wanted to retire in two months at the end of the year. And so then I started researching, scrambling. I finally uh, set sights on how I was going to do so. I did not want a call center again. Uh, I felt like the call center had let us down in the past. I wanted to make it easy for my clients to contact me to schedule a job. So uh, I know I'm an older guy, but I had to get real techie again. I, I I tried to keep up with the tech industry. Makes your mind and cute. Yeah, keep you young. It helps. And I even, you know, even before starting this business, I I was always pretty uh techy. I actually ran the um, house audio at Emanuel for years. Well, and you uh, started when it was all paper. And it was it was paper. There was no electronics when you got into the industry. So you know both the way to do it manually and now you have the ease of technology to make you more efficient. It helps. It helps. So then what I, I decided to do, uh, I decided to um, go with what most home inspectors went with to develop a company. I, I contacted a software company, ISN. They had a software that helps me schedule the jobs. They had, their software also puts me in contact with the Guardian Financial Group that does the uh, credit card uh, processing okay. for me. Uh, they, uh, then also went with a home inspector insurance group instead of just a, um, maybe a local insurance company that would, uh, do that. But anyways, I had to learn how to get the different softwares talking to each other to link them together. Uh, there's a scheduling app, scheduling app on my first page of the, uh, website that has simplified everything. You can click on schedule an inspection on that first page and it takes you about two minutes I mean, it's so fast to schedule a job. You, as long as you know your email address, as I'm sure everybody does, and their phone numbers and your realtors, uh, and then you just need to know, you know, I, you know what you're paying for the house. You know basically what the square footage is. All that information is right there uh, ready for you to, to input. And it takes about two minutes, and you pick a date that um, suits you, and it also quotes you a fee. I mean, it's real simple. And then it starts, uh, the, the software, I had to write all these emails and everything's automated and starts sending emails out to the client, to the realtors, the selling agent, the listing agent. I love it. Um, yeah, it's, it's really great. It's made my life so easy. Uh, it also sends out an inspection agreement that you can sign electronically that I, 
I don't have to run these inspection agreements down anymore. I have to have them signed before I start the job. So that simplified my life. Um, everything about the software was great. And it, the main thing it is, the toughest thing was getting them to communicate with each other. Yeah. And once I did that, then that's what it made everything so easy. It's like a house. You've got yes. the foundation, right? And if people don't have that solid foundation, whether it's a home or a relationship or a business, if that foundation isn't built correctly, it the rest of the house will eventually crumble or have issues and problems oh, yeah. that you could have avoided. So well done. Thanks. Well done. It has made life easier. And now it takes my mind off of uh, scheduling jobs. I mean, you can still call me. There's no problem. You can call me. We can schedule a job that way. But now I can concentrate on my inspection when I'm out there. The job. So folks out there, when you do a home inspection, Larry's going to check everything from top to bottom. The foundation, the electric, the plumbing, the HVAC. The roof, the windows, the electrical panel. Does the water have enough pressure? Um, he's going to check your appliances and all of that to give you an overall assessment of the condition of the home as of that day. And then he's going to give you recommendations and, and kind of give you, you know, a report card on the house. And that's what you're going to discuss. And then you're going to go back with your real estate agent and based on however the offer was written and accepted, you're going to determine whether or not those repairs are going to be done by you or if they're going to be done by the seller or if it's going to be a combination of both. I don't do it. I don't print out the reports anymore. But one thing I do, I do have the report ready for them when they show up at the end of the job. And we sit down and we talk about all those things that you just listed. And uh, they have it in hand. It's, it's in their email, their realtor has it. So it does allow you to jump right to that next step. Uh, because, you know, a lot of times you have, you know, I know some inspectors, you may get it the next day or two days later. Everybody's answered. They're ready to move on to the next step. We're going to have it ready for you when you arrive to go th through the review. I always say to our clients, writing the offer and getting that accepted is probably the easier part. The home inspection period and that due diligence period is where the deals typically fall apart. The seller thinks they have an amazing home that they've lived in, no issues. The buyer comes in and they want the perfect home and they want everything in order. And sometimes that's a clash of the titans that if the emotions aren't set by the agents, it can just escalate into something it shouldn't. But that home inspection period is a cost, right? And it can run anywhere depending if you have a crawl space or a basement if you want, you know, mold and radon and all of that done, you know, anywhere what from four to over a thousand, depending on the size of the house, a lot of it's square footage, right? Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, I have found in our 775 homes that we've helped that that is the most important process. And what I've noticed over the last three years, when we had the unicorn years, there was a ploy or a strategy of of waiving that home inspection so that this seller would take your offer. And, um, you know, you and I had a long conversation about that. It's, I think it's going to come back and haunt some people when it comes time for them to sell their home. They're going to find out things that they're not going to be happy about. Uh, they're going to start blaming, 
blaming other people, I think, you know, if, if, if these are things that they weren't unaware of, they may say the seller had to have known this. And so I think it's going to be scary to them. Well, we bought this building, our little happy place over here in Southland, which I absolutely love, but we really had to get the inside and we brought you in after the fact. <laughs> um, but we had to, I mean, that's like commercial, that's where it's at. Um, and we had some expense to take care of. But when we bought Will's house on Mount Vernon, um, we bought it, you know, as it is, here it goes. And, you know, things, things always look pretty on the outside. You can see everything from the walls in. You can't see behind the walls. And when I brought you in after, I got a little scolding, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, you know, that was the perfect presence of pretense of you scolded me for buying a house, even though I'm a realtor, I'm in the business, I've, I have flipped multiple homes for our own personal investment use. Um, but this one, you know, my emotions totally went over. Like, I was buying that house. I didn't care. And if it meant buying it without an inspection, and we brought you in after, and you scolded me. Yeah. Nicely. You, yeah, you got away. It worked out for you. Yeah. I think it was a good investment, but yeah, it's always scary. We had some things to fix afterwards, which we weren't expecting, but... I just hate seeing people take a chance because it's... You know, it's not that much money. I know it wasn't the money issue. It was the way of you presenting yourself to the sellers. Well, and this is what we will both say, I think, is that it is the best money invested in your real estate transaction. And I tell our clients, you know, you may lose five, six, seven hundred dollars by finding out things in your home inspection or what you can afford to take on. But if you didn't do it, it could be tens of thousands of dollars that you have to take on that you can't afford to do either. There's always another house. Yep. So one last question, sure. and then I appreciate all your time. What is your advice to your younger self? Here's Larry Sales, now business owner, the total entrepreneur that you started at 12 years old. You're ending, right? What would you tell your younger self? What would you tell the younger person out there listening about taking the leap of faith, starting a business? I would probably uh, take a different direction. I may, I may not even be a home inspector today. <laughs> there were, you know, going through life, everybody knows this, you, you have choices. I'm glad I made the choices I did, but I, if I knew what I knew today, I may not make those choices. One reason I know I would make the same choice is because of my loved ones and friends around me. I mean, if I didn't make the choices I did, you know, I may not have met my wife, I wouldn't have the children, the grandchildren I have, but as far as uh, telling my younger self what to do, I think I'd probably treat myself like my dad treated me. I would try to tell him to do the best you can. Uh, that's all you can do, and I think it would pay di uh, dividends in the future if you set the rules for yourself like your parents most often do. Give your best effort and just go with the flow. That's all. Great advice. You have choices in life. Be the best you can be. And be sure that you give it your all for the people that are around you. Right. Yeah. Amazing. I always oh, sound better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm still learning from you, my friend. 
It's always a pleasure to sit and have time with you. You and your family, your brothers, you know, Todd and Dennis have just been, even Wayne, right, had just been such dear, dear friends and great clients and great mentors in this world of crazy world of real estate. I'm just honored to know you and I appreciate you joining us today. I hope people have learned. We're going to put all the information of how to reach Larry. Larry, what's your phone number to reach you at? It's 859-420-1950. We'll have that all in there. We'll have lots of tidbits that we've learned today throughout the week. And if you're looking for a home inspector, even after you buy it or best yet, even before you buy it, list your home, he's always great to come in and give you a gut check of what an an inspector may find during that home inspection so that you make sure the sale of your home is not compromised. And if you have any questions about it, reach out to Larry. He's a wealth of information. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Well, here you go, folks. We're going to wrap it up here with Larry Sills with the Larry Sills Home Inspector business at our bourbon table. And remember, when you're ready to buy, sell, build, or invest, just ask Malia. Well, that wraps up another great podcast. Thank you so much for joining us at the Just Ask Malia's podcast series. It's always a pleasure to help the local and future residents of Kentucky make smart real estate decisions. And we love connecting you to our community. And that's why we do this. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast series. Make sure your friends and family know all about it. Tag, like us, find us on Facebook, social media. And remember, when you're ready to buy, sell, build, or invest, I'm your girl, Just Us Malia.